0: You're listening to The Preaching Podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation chapter 2, I I didn't get to this um, uh, two weeks ago, the instruction. It's found in verses 5 through 7. Jesus tells the church, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. We see number three, the instruction. The instruction is to get back to where you used to be. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us tonight. Bless us, we pray. Help us in our study of your word. Uh, may your word come alive. Holy Spirit, may you speak. May you work in our hearts. May you show us things that need to be fixed in our own lives. And may we be what you have us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The instruction. The book of Ephesians, if you'll turn back with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. The book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Notice Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 in verse number 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here we get to Revelation chapter 2 and Jesus says, remember from whence thou art fallen, He's not saying you lost your salvation, but he said, hey, you used to be up here. You used to be walking with Jesus. You used to be fellowshipping with Jesus. You used to have the joy of the Lord. You used to have victory, but you have fallen from that position. You have fallen from that relationship, and it's time to repent, and it's time to get right. It's time to get back. That's the instruction for God's people to repent of our sin, to confess our sin. Uh, You say, well, is it a sin? To leave your first love, absolutely it's a sin. Because the Bible commands us, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Say, well, pastor, I'm not sinning. I'm I'm not out drinking. I'm not out doing drugs. I'm not out stealing. I'm not out committing adultery. I'm not doing those things. Well, good. I'm glad you're not doing those things. Child of God ought not do those things. But I want to remind you, if you've left your first love, if you, if you don't love Jesus like you should, it's time to repent. It's time to get back to that place of love. And that's the instruction to return, to restore, to get back to the fellowship. Jesus warned them if they did not heed the, the warning that they would lose their candlestick. They would lose their opportunity. They would lose what they had been given. And I want to tell you, as a child of God, what a privilege we have to bear the light. What a privilege we have to share the gospel. What a privilege we have to be used by God. And I don't ever want to lose that privilege. I don't ever want Jesus to say, you know, uh, you don't love me anymore. You're just going through the motions. You're just playing the game. You're just, you're just doing this to impress people. So why don't I remove that light from you and I'll give it to somebody who loves me. And I tell you what a privilege we have to serve God. And let's get back, let's keep our light. But then I see number four, I see the invitation, verse seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The invitation, the invitation is to listen. The invitation is if you've got an ear, you better hear what the Spirit of God is saying. We see the word overcometh. Uh, you see that in the book of Revelation. You see that a lot in the book of 1st John. And that word simply means to be victorious. God, God didn't, God didn't save us and God didn't leave us here on this earth so we could be a bunch of losers, so that we could be defeated and we could be depressed and we could be discouraged and, you know, we could just be having a pity party. God left us here and He gave us the tools for victory. And we ought to be overcomers and we ought to have victory in Jesus. And say, how do I get victory? Well, how about prayer? That's a way to get some victories. How about the Bible? How about the Holy Spirit of God? How about living under the control of Almighty God? That'll get you some victory. But to him that overcometh, Jesus said, I will give to eat of the tree of life. It's interesting. The tree of life is in the Garden of Eden, was in the Garden of Eden. And that was a place of, fellowship. Adam and Eve, because of sin, they were removed from the garden. And can I tell you, if you're going to overcome, you're going to have to have some fellowship with Jesus Christ. If you're going to be victorious, you're going to have to get some fellowship with Jesus Christ. And what a blessing, what a privilege it is uh, to have fellowship and to walk with Jesus every day. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, wants to spend time with you. By the way, the tree of life was in the garden of Eden. The Bible tells us in Revelation 22, the tree of life is found in heaven. You know what we're going to have in heaven? We're going to have some good fellowship in heaven, let me tell you what. But you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to walk with God. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to know more about God. You can know him and I can know him every day and we can walk with him down here. I thank the Lord for that. That's the invitation that's given to the church at Ephesus. Notice with me very quickly, verse number eight, we see the church at Smyrna. and I want to get to this got a lot I want to say and what a what an amazing church this is revelation 2 verse 8 and unto the angel of the church in smyrna right these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive i'm glad it does not say which was alive and is dead i'm glad jesus he was dead but he is alive today hallelujah i know thy works in tribulation and poverty but thou art rich and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not but are the synagogue of Satan that's strong language there fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer behold the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and ye shall have tribulation 10 days be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh, there it is again, shall not be heard of the second death. Let's look at this church at Smyrna. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to notice there is a reaction. You say, well, what's the reaction? Well, the, the, the word Smyrna is a word that the, is derived from the word myrrh, M-Y-R-R-H, myrrh. Now, myrrh is an interesting thing because myrrh was brought by the wise men at the birth of Jesus, but myrrh was also something that was offered to Jesus on the cross. Remember, the wine mingled with the myrrh, they they tried to give that to Jesus to to, to dull the senses and to dull the pain. I'm going to preach on that in a couple weeks, I won't get into that tonight, but that's an amazing, amazing thought, an amazing analogy there. But the myrrh is an herb, and this is Smyrna. That's that's what the name comes from the word myrrh. But myrrh is an herb that releases a pleasant aroma when it is crushed. You know, I was just thinking about this in our lives. You know, sometimes we get crushed. (laughs) Some of you are saying, Yep, today. That was one of those days. I got crushed today. And you know, as Christians, When we go through trials and we go through hardships, when we get crushed, I wonder what the aroma is. I wonder what the smell is. I wonder what our testimony is like when we get crushed. Some people, when they get crushed, they're angry. They're bitter. Some people, they lash out. Some people decide they're going to uh, 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 just go into mourning and go into depression and they're going to quit on God, all those things. Well, I want to tell you something. How we react in the trials is so important because anybody can live for God when things are going good. Say, Pastor, I made it to church, you know, last Sunday. Good. That's wonderful. Now, I got news for you. That's not that hard to make it to church where there's no persecution, where there's padded pews, where there's air conditioning, where there's lights, where there's people that love you, where there's people that encourage you, where you can come and you can worship God. I want to tell you, praise the Lord. You go on a mission trip with Brother Hayes and you go to church. I promise you this, that's going to take some work. That's going to take some doing. That's going to take some hardship. That's going to be where you're sitting on a, a wooden bench if you're fortunate without air conditioning, and where you're fighting the mosquitoes and where you're worried about the dangers that are all around. I wanna tell you, it's not that hard to be a good Christian when things are going good. But what happens when the trials come? What happens when you get crushed? What is your reaction? What comes out of your mouth when somebody crushes you? What comes out of your life? What 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 is your action or reaction like when you are crushed? I'll tell you this, I know what comes out When we get crushed, what comes out is what's already on the inside. Have you ever had somebody that'll say something and they'll say this, they'll say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know where that came from. Have you ever heard that? I've heard it. And what I always want to say is I know exactly where it came from. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Number one, our reaction when we go through trials, when we go through difficulties, you can either get better or you can be bitter. We see, number one, the reaction. Number two, the reminder. Notice with me, Jesus says in verse number eight, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now, how many of you like to be first? Let's just be honest. Would you rather be first place or last place? I'd rather be first place, right? But then there are some things, some areas of life where you like to be last. I remember when we would play games in, uh, in basketball practice, we'd have these drills, and one of the drills was, it was called knockout. Now, it's not punching, but it's your shooting. And you always like to be last if you could. You wanted to be able to get the last shot in. And whoever was the last person, that was the winner. But you know, sometimes you can be first, And sometimes you can be last, but it's hard to be both first and last. But guess what? Jesus says, I hold the title. I'm the first and I'm the last. Can I tell you, Jesus was around before you showed up and he's going to be around after you're gone. He is the eternal God. He is the everlasting God. In the beginning was the word and he is forever and he always has been and he always will be. He is the first and he is the last. There's something special about that. I think about in life, there are people that came before you. There are people that know things that we don't know. So many times I find myself, I I wish I could ask my dad something. Of course, he's in heaven now, so I can't. Or so many times I think, I wish I could ask so-and-so, but they passed away. They, They came before me. They knew some things I don't know. And can I tell you, there'll be some people that come after you. When you and I, when we're dead and gone, if Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet, with God's help and by God's grace, this church is going to be going on fine without us. You say, oh no, this church couldn't make it without us. Last time I checked, it was the Lord's church and he's more than capable and uh, he's done a pretty good job for 2,000 years of keeping the church going and he promised the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Can I tell you, when we're gone, there'll be people come after us and and they'll be just fine. Jesus Christ says this. He says, there's nobody that came before me and there's nobody coming after me. I am the first and I am the last. Then it says that he is the one who was dead and is alive. Now, Jesus is writing to a church at Smyrna that is being persecuted. But by Jesus reminding this church that he was dead, he is reminding them that he suffered death on the cross. And I want to remind you tonight, no matter what you are suffering tonight, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whatever you are suffering tonight, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ knows what you're going through. He suffered. He suffered on the cross, not only the physical pain. But he suffered the emotional pain when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can I tell you, Jesus has suffered. He knows what you're going through. And as we go through hardships, I want to remind you, Jesus knows all about our struggles. There's a reminder. But then thirdly, I see in this passage, I see riches. Jesus says in verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and... Poverty, but then notice in parentheses, "But thou art rich." Well, how can it be both? How can you be poor and rich? Well, turn with me if you would to the book of Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter six. Jesus says, "You've got poverty, but you're actually rich." Second Corinthians chapter six. Notice with me, verse number um, ten. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Look over with me, if you would, back, uh, uh, excuse me, ahead of page or two, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became, what's that word? Poor, that ye through his poverty might be what? Rich. The church at Smyrna, they were poor. You say, how poor? That word poverty It does not mean that they couldn't get an upgrade and get the latest model of car or they couldn't upgrade and get the latest model of house. That word poverty means they had absolutely nothing. That word poverty means that they were destitute, literally begging for food. You see, in Smyrna, they had a a temple that was dedicated, they had a temple that was set up there. And in Smyrna, The people were required by law, they were required to hail Caesar, the Nero, hail Caesar as Lord. Well, can I tell you something? If they didn't do that, they lost their opportunity to have their business. They lost their opportunity to make money. They lost their opportunity to get wealth. And so these Christians, they were suffering. And Jesus says, you have poverty. You have nothing, but he said, but you are rich. Well, here's what I know about riches. Riches that are down here, riches that are on this earth, they don't last very long, they're temporal. But riches that are in heaven are eternal. Matthew chapter six says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We see that this church, although They experienced physical and and, and temporal poverty. They had eternal riches in Christ Jesus. I'll say this, and I I hope you could say the same, but if I had the opportunity tonight to trade places with the richest man in the whole world, I wouldn't even have to think about it. Now, some of you say, oh, yes, you would have to think about it. Well, maybe because I've already thought about it, so I don't have to think about it anymore. You know why? Because money doesn't buy happiness. M- money doesn't guarantee that everything's gonna be good and money certainly doesn't buy you to heaven. You could have all the money in the whole world and you could go straight to hell. Remember the rich man in Lazarus in Luke uh, 14? The Bible says, and the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes being in torments and seeth Lazarus afar off. And can I tell you something? He would have gladly traded places with Lazarus had he known what Lazarus had Lazarus was a beggar on the on the on the sidewalk outside on the street outside and he had nothing but yet that rich man was the one who was actually poor Lazarus was the one who was rich we see number four quickly we see religion the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 9 I know thy works and tribulation and poverty but thou art rich and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. If you're taking notes, I'd like for you to jot down this passage of scripture. I'm not going to go there tonight for sake of time, but it's found in Romans chapter 2. It's verses 17 through 19, and then verses 28 and 29. And here's what Paul writes to the Romans. He says, Uh, being a Jew, being a, a true, he's saying being a true believer in Christ is not about doing the things of the law. He said it's not about doing the stuff on the outside, but he said it's about doing what is pleasing to God in the heart. You see, salvation is not something that you do a list of a bunch of stuff. Salvation is that you believe in your heart. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you receive salvation into your heart. Uh, salvation is not just something you put on. Something is not, salvation is not just something you do. You say, well, pastor, I go to church and therefore I'm a Christian. No, 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 you go to church because you are a Christian, I hope. But you don't, you're not a Christian because you go to church. That's not, that's not what, what got you saved. You got saved because Jesus Christ moved in and changed your life and gave you eternal life. But then once you've got that transformation, there ought to be something on the outside, but it doesn't start on the outside. It starts on the inside. And we see the religion. The religion is that the Jews in Smyrna, they they had heard the gospel and they tried to bring their Jewish traditions. They tried to bring their, their, their Jewish practices in And what they were doing was they were trying to make the gospel all about religion. I got news for you. Religion doesn't get you to heaven. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ gets you to heaven. There's a lot of people that claim religion and they're lost. There's a lot of people that claim religion and they're on a church roll and they got baptized and they're trusting that to get to heaven. And they will not make it to heaven if that's what they're trusting in. Only Jesus can save. And we see religion. There was a blasphemy, Jesus said. The blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. It appears there were people in the church trying to bring Judaism into the church. They were trying to hang on to the beliefs and customs. And in so doing, they were rejecting the Messiah who was crucified, who was buried, and who had risen again. And so therefore, this was called the synagogue of Satan. That's strong language. I want to tell you, any church, any institution, any movement, any group of people that deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's a synagogue of Satan is what that is. That is antichrist. And by the way, anything, anybody or anything that denies that Jesus Christ is God, you ought to run from that as fast as you possibly can because that is a false gospel. And so we see religion had crept into that church at Smyrna, and Jesus addressed that. But then I see their resolve, verse 10. They've experienced persecution, and Jesus says in verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I see the resolve. Jesus says, you are going to suffer. But he said, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus knew about suffering. It's interesting that John is the author of the book of Revelation. John, if you remember, John had a brother who was also a disciple, and who was John's brother? James and John, right? The sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And those guys, they came to Jesus. I think it was their mother that came to Jesus, right? And she wanted her sons to be able to sit one on the right hand and one on the left hand. You remember that story? And Jesus said, he said, I I can't tell you that, but he said, I can tell you this you will be partakers in my suffering. James was the first disciple that was martyred for Christ in the book of Acts. John, his brother, was the last of the disciples to die, and he was the one here who's writing the book of Revelation. He was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Can I tell you, these men, John and his brother James, they knew about suffering. But Jesus sends the letter to the church at Smyrna through the Apostle John. And he said, don't be afraid of this suffering. He said, as a matter of fact, some of you will be cast into prison by the devil. Now, we, I think sometimes we give the devil too much credit. And we blame the devil for a lot of stuff that the devil had nothing to do with. It was our fault. Well, the devil made me do it, right? Well, I don't know about all that. I know the devil is real. I know he's on the attack, but I know this, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. But in this case, Jesus said the devil is going to cast some of you into prison. Now, that may not encourage you, but you know what that how that encourages me? Is Jesus already knows exactly what the devil's going to do. Now, the reverse is not true. Satan doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. Satan is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing, but I'm glad Jesus is. And Jesus says, let me just tell you what the devil's planning. He's going to try to cast some of you into prison. He said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the suffering. Uh, Have some resolve. Don't be afraid. This would serve as a trial. This would serve as a test. By the way, when we go through suffering, we go through hardships, I think it's important to ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach me through this? Sometimes we go through a trial and we say, you know, I feel just like Job. And by the way, sometimes that may be the way you should feel, but sometimes when you go through a trial, you ought to make sure you're not a Jonah. Jonah went through a trial too, but you know why Jonah went through a trial? Because he was running from God, because God was trying to get his attention. You say, well, well, pastor, how do I know? You'll know. I won't know. I'll just see a storm. I'll just see a trial. I'll just see something going on in your life. And and I won't know for you and you won't know for me. But I'll know for me. You'll know for you. Because if God's trying to get your attention, you'll know. Because he'll speak to you. He'll convict you. He'll show you some things where he's trying to get your attention. But we see that they would suffer. The Bible says their tribulation would not last for a long time. In, In the Bible, 10 days. It's just, it's a brief time. It's just a few days. Genesis 24 just talks about it being a few days. I know this, our trials will not last forever. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that sickness doesn't last forever? Aren't you glad that pain doesn't last forever? Aren't you glad that heartaches don't last forever? Aren't you glad we're going to a land where there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears, and for all of eternity we will have rejoicing? Let me read a verse for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse number 17, the Bible says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Your suffering, my suffering, it will not last forever. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's just for a moment. Our suffering is so quick. Our lives are so short, but eternity is forever. And as we go through suffering, let's not get bitter. Let's not get bent out of shape. Let's not get out of the will of God. But as we go through suffering, let's get closer to God. Let's find out what God's trying to show us. Maybe it's through that suffering that God's going to get glory in in your life like he wouldn't get otherwise. Maybe it's through that suffering that God will use you to help somebody. Maybe it's through your suffering somebody might get saved. And by the way, why are we here anyway? Are we here for our enjoyment, for our pleasure? We're not. We're here for His glory. And as we go through suffering, God can be glorified if we'll trust Him through that suffering. Be faithful. That's the resolve. Be faithful. Uh, Don't be afraid. Uh, Be faithful unto death. Verse number 10. And then lastly, I see the reward. Jesus says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Jesus himself will give us the crown of life, and uh, I hope that we'd be willing to suffer. I hope we'd be willing to be faithful unto death, but Jesus promises a reward. Smyrna was a city that held uh, annual athletic competitions. And in those competitions, the, the winners of those competitions would receive crowns. 1 Corinthians tells us that those crowns were corruptible. Those crowns, they were just temporal crowns. But Jesus says, I will give thee a crown of life. Uh, what a promise. Can you imagine standing before Jesus Christ someday? And by the way, this is, not, this is not fairy tale. This is what the Bible says that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If it's the judgment seat of Christ, who do you think is sitting at that judgment seat? Christ. Christ himself is at that judgment seat of Christ and we will stand before that judgment seat and we will receive rewards for what we have done here on this earth, here in this life. And can you imagine what that will be like someday to see Jesus face to face? to look into those eyes as he looks at you and he looks at me. And he extends a crown of life. And as you receive that crown, you can't help but notice the nail prints in those hands. And you can't help but think that you don't deserve to be there and I don't deserve to be there. It's only the mercy and the grace of God. And then on top of that, he's giving us a reward. He's giving us a crown for serving him. Serving him, that's the least that we could do after all he's done for us imagine what that would be like to receive that reward from Jesus Christ? I tell you, that ought to help you going through trials to realize one of these days we will stand before Christ. The songwriter said, it will be worth it all when we see Christ, the reward. James 1.12, blessed is he that endureth temptation for he shall receive the crown of life. We see the reward is promised. And then in verse number 11, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. The church at Smyrna would face persecution. But Jesus reminded them of this. He said, as you go through persecution, as you go through difficulty, he said, I want to tell you about one persecution you'll never face you will never face the second death. say, what's the second death? Well, Revelation 20 tells us that at the great white throne judgment, the Bible says that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's the place where those go who have rejected Christ, the lake of fire. That's the second death. And I want to tell you, for the child of God, if you've been saved, you will never experience the second death. I don't know who came up with this, this phrase. My dad always used to say it, so I give him the credit for it. But he always said this If you're only born once, you will die twice. There'll be a physical death, and there will be a spiritual death, a second death in a place called hell. You're only, if you're born once, you will die twice. But if you're born twice, You'll only die once. And if you've been born physically and you get born again spiritually, you have no reason to fear the second death. And Jesus reminds the church at Smyrna, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Cobernack.